Hey, I'm Pastor Robbie. I'm the pastor of apologetics here at the church. And today we're going to continue in our study of gospel impact in Philippians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got your iPad, if you've got your phone, whatever you do to access God's word, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 9. Hey, I want to tell you a story about an NFL quarterback. Some of you will remember Steve McNair. He had a great NFL career. He played 13 years in the NFL, most of it spent with the Tennessee Titans. He was a phenomenal family man, he was a great teammate, and he was very active in his community. He started to open youth camps for underprivileged kids. He actually even opened a restaurant near a college in Tennessee that made food out to eat affordable for college students. Everybody loved this guy. Everyone looked up to him. And then, on July 4th, 2009, the news broke that Steve McNair had been shot and killed. The shocking part of it was that the person who had killed him was his mistress. You see, he had been living a double life. He had been believing lies and lying to others about who he really was. The news came out that he had an apartment across town where he'd been taking women for years. And in fact, he wasn't only cheating on his wife with one woman, but multiple. They also believed that the reason he was shot by his mistress was because she learned that he was uh, being with somebody else as well. After shooting him, she turned the gun on herself, and this devastated the community. Now, lies destroy us. Lies always have destroyed human beings. They're not healthy for us. They destroy our life. They destroy our legacies. They destroy our families. They destroy our communities. And we have a very extreme example of that in Steve McNair. But lives can creep into all of our lives. And today, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 8, and 9 is going to be giving us a method of how we do not have to allow lies to control us. That we do not have to live lives of worry and anxiety and stress and anger. But that we can actually take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what today's message is going to be about. So let's go ahead and read Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul starts it out and he lists these six adjectives. These are plural adjectives and he's emphasizing these. He's saying, listen, whatever is the truths, whatever is the honorables, whatever is the pures, and he's emphasizing these adjectival words because he wants us to focus on those things. He doesn't start off by saying, dwell on things that are like this. He starts off with the these things, emphasizing what they are. Truth being the first. Truth is extremely important to us as Christians. What we believe in, uh, whether you know this or not, is we believe in what's called the correspondence theory of truth. That's a big term, and all that means is that things are true if they are real. Things are true, ideas are true if they are are actually out there in reality. You remember in the X-Files, they say the truth is out there. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Truth isn't something that we create. 
Truth is something that we discover. It's out there. And that's what we believe. Truth is reality. And Paul says, whatever is true, because the opposite of that is lies, right? The opposite of that is mythology. And he says, no, you you don't need to dwell on that. You need to get your mind fixated on what's real, not the what ifs, not speculation, not things that have never happened, but focus on what's real and what's true. He then says we need to focus on what's honorable, right? And the idea here is that which evokes dignity, that which evokes reverence, not dishonorable things. Because we can focus on reality that's discouraging. (laughs) We can focus on what's actually going on that's disheartening, right? We're in a situation like that now. And if you're filling your mind with the truth of the coronavirus that's going around, that can invoke depression in your heart and in your head. And he says, no, we need to think about what's real, but we need to think about the things that are honorable, the things that evoke reverence. We need to think about what's right. This word just, righteousness, We need to think about the good, right? Not just what's out there and happening, but focus on righteousness, right living, whatever is pure. The idea here is whatever is chaste, whatever is innocent. This definitely has a sexual component to it, to keep our minds fixated on pure things, not impure, not not lusts of the flesh. He says, whatever is lovely, right? Whatever is lovely. And I love this word because the idea is that which calls forth love. That's which is love inspiring. Here's the thing. A lot of us can focus and, and let thoughts replay in our minds over and over and over again. And they're not love inspiring. They're actually anger inducing, right? You can think about maybe somebody looked at me sideways. This person thought this. Maybe this is going on at work, at home, with the extended family. And you can start to ruminate on these things. And all of a sudden, you start to feel anger welling up in your chest. And it's because you're not thinking about things that are love-inducing. You're thinking about things that are anger-inducing. And he says, don't do that. Think about the lovely. Then he says, whatever is of good repute, whatever is of good repute. And this is the idea of expressing what is kind and likely to win people over. It's the idea of being winsome. Think about things that are winsome, not things that are combative. We need to be filling our mind with these things. And then he kind of sums it up by saying, listen, uh, if anything is excellent and if anything is worthy of praise, right? This is the type of stuff you've got to dwell on. Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. And it is such an interesting phrase because dwell doesn't mean think about it once and forget about it. The idea here is an ongoing activity. You need to continually be fixating your mind, ruminating, meditating on this kind of stuff. And definitely not the opposite. He says, the things that you've learned, the things that you received, and the things that you've heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When I first read this, I thought, man, Paul, that's pretty arrogant, right? Like he's saying, look at me if you want to live right. That's kind of what it seems like. And he is in a sense, uh, we have to qualify this with his statement elsewhere where he says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? But he's saying, listen, the things that I taught you when I was with you in Philippi, 
Then he says, the things that you received from me. And this word is, um, is, is communicating the traditions that he's passed on to them. Now, at the time that he was in Philippi, you know, the New Testament hasn't been written yet, right? There, he wasn't carrying around the four Gospels and expositing out of them like, like we can do today. But he gave them what he'd received, which was traditions, which were sayings of Jesus. There was this oral tradition of Jesus' traditions that the disciples were taking to the world and teaching people. And Paul's saying, you got to remember those things. The things that we talked about and you learned from me, the things I delivered to you, the traditions of Jesus, the truth of his word, the things that you've seen in me, you need to practice these things. It's not just about knowing it, it's about doing it, practicing the words of Jesus. You remember Jesus says things like, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Today's got enough trouble, right? Just focus on today. A lot of our anxiety, depression, anger, stress can come from ruminating on lies about the future. We need to remember what Jesus said. We need to remember the things that Paul taught. We need to remember the example they left us. And the promise is that as we do this, the peace of God will be with you. He said in in Philippians 4, 6, that the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. And then he says at the end of verse 9, the presence of the God of peace will also be with you. He'll give us the peace, and he'll give us his presence with us. Peace is something that all of us need during this time. It seems like things are the opposite of peace. It seems like things are chaotic, right? How do we go about living a life of inner peace, being centered on the truths of God and on who he is? That's what this method that Paul has given us is about. Now, one of the most fascinating things about the Bible to me is that it proves itself to be reliable over and over and over and over again, right? We're expecting that if this is real and this is God's word and he knows how we operate as human beings, that it would correspond with reality. And we've seen this happen through so many different ways. Uh, You think about archaeology, right? The Bible says stuff happened, man doubt it, and then we dig up old stuff and we find, oh no, the Bible is actually very accurate about where this city was, who this person was, what was going on here. We see it in history. The Bible keeps proving itself reliable. And in our passage today, the Bible proves itself to be reliable when it comes to modern psychology, And this is fascinating to me. We live in a time where modern neuroscience has finally caught up to understanding that what scripture says is true, that what scripture says works, and we know why. Now, I want to mention something to you that I almost will guarantee you've never heard in another sermon, and that is neuroplasticity. (laughs) You might be sitting at your house thinking, what are you talking about, you crazy person? Yes, I am a little weird. I get it. But neuroplasticity is an amazing discovery about how our brains, the organ inside of our skull, actually works. And I want to explain it to you a little bit. Human beings have the ability to form new brain grooves in our brain. Uh, These brain grooves are new patterns of synaptic connection. What happens in our brain is that it's changing all the time. It's not a static thing. It's plastic, right? Not not to say it's like a toy you get at Chick-fil-A, but it's, it's changing. It's shifting. It's not static. And what we can do is we can, through 
replacing certain thoughts, develop new habits of thinking that literally change the structure of our brains. Now, when we believe in certain lies or we're addicted to certain things, that um, basically bores highways and ruts in our brain through these synaptic connections. And we can get put into, uh, uh, you know, uh, the record playing over and over and over again. We can get into thought patterns. And these thought patterns really have a huge effect on our life. They can destroy us or they can enable us to live a life of peace. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in Philippians. Now this fascinates me because scripture actually teaches this idea that what we think about is extremely important to how and who we are. I want to share with you a couple of verses. The first comes from Proverbs 23:7. It says, "For so as a man thinks within himself, so he is. As a man thinks within himself, so he is." Our thoughts have extreme power to make us into certain things. And if we're believing lies and the content of what we think about is a lie, it really can harm us. If the content we're believing is true about who we are and we're ruminating on that and we're meditating on that, it really does change our disposition and our default position in our mind. Another passage of scripture, Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Paul encourages us, don't focus on the here and now. Focus on the then and there. Focus on what God is doing. Focus on the promises that he has given us. Jesus put it like this, thy will be done, your kingdom come, right? On earth as it is in heaven. What is your mind set on? Because I'll tell you right now, if it's set on your 401k, you have been sorely disappointed in the last four, five, six weeks. If it's set on the activities or the summer plans that you had, man, you can get depressed. But if it's fixated on the unchanging truths of God, it can really change the disposition of our hearts and our emotions. Another passage of scripture that I love, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is implying that there's going to be thoughts that you have that aren't true thoughts, that aren't good thoughts, and that we have got to take them captive. Why? Because if they're left free to roam, they're going to continue to develop highways and network of highways and the synaptic connections in our brain and the strength of those brain grooves grows and it's harder for us to get out of negative thinking. Negative thinking being believing lies. We have got to take false thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ who said he is the way and the truth and the life. The Bible teaches that this is a, a method that human beings need to engage in regularly where we're fixating our mind on what's true and honorable and good and righteous. And modern neuropsychology has finally caught up to understanding that scripture once again proves itself to be true. Now here's why this is so important, because what we believe matters. What you believe has legs. What you believe pushes you to act and be certain ways. Now, there are three different aspects to a belief. The first is the content of a belief. This is the idea of what do you believe, right? This is where truth is so important to believe because if you believe a lie, it will have legs that lead you down paths of destruction. What do you believe? The content of your belief. And, and this is where sincerity of your belief doesn't matter. What matters is, is what you believe real or is what you believe a myth? 
the content of your belief. People who believe that um, there is no God and there is no moral lawgiver and, and we're just here left on our own to figure it out, if you really have that belief, it will impact how you live your life morally because you just don't see any reason or any, um, any way that you should go about living your life with certain virtues versus others. You're free to do whatever you feel and whatever you think's best with no lawgiver out there. You see, that lie, that belief has legs and it will lead you down certain paths. Believing there's a God who loves you and who sent his son to die for you and who cared about you so much that he did all the work in order to reconcile you with him and bring you into heaven. Having that as a core belief of your life, believing that content will have legs in how you live your life and in who you eventually become. The second part of a belief is, uh, the first is the content of what we believe. The second is the strength of our belief, right? Our beliefs can grow in strength. We can become more confident or more sure in our beliefs. This is, as Christians, why we continue to study scripture. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but whoa, I've studied it a lot in the past 15 years, and like, I really believe it. Like, it's a real strong belief in my life. We need to continue to develop the strength of the true content in our life. But the scary part is, when we believe a lie, those can also grow in strength. When the content is not true, the strength of those lies can grow because we see and we believe that they're being reaffirmed in our life. Think about this. You believe a lie that uh, you'll never amount to anything because some parent or some uh, kid on the playground one time told you that, and that idea just stuck into your brain. And you started to think about that and, and, and believe it and say, man, yeah, I probably won't. I'm, I'm really not that great at anything. Um, I, I'm, I'm never the first at anything I do. Um, you start to process that lie. It starts to build these grooves in your brain. And then you start to grow the strength of the content of that lie by saying, yeah, look at me. Like, I can't get good grades. Uh, I'm not very good at sports. My, my people at my job don't really care to keep me there? Like, what am I successful at? And then there's a self-fulfilling prophecy that's growing the strength of your false belief. What we believe matters. The content had better be true because lies and truth can grow in strength over time. The third aspect of a belief is the centrality of your belief. Um, so I believe carrots are healthy for me. Uh, I really do. Like, I really trust that carrots are healthy for me. Now, here's the thing. If it came out that carrots are not healthy for me, that really wouldn't wreck very much of my life <laughs> because it's not that central of a belief to who I am. Now, the belief that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and offers me salvation by his grace, that is a central core belief that I hold. And if I came to realize that was not true, it would wreck my entire life. It would throw everything off kilter and I would be spiraling into who knows what. When lies become deep-seated, central aspects of our life, it morphs us into being people God never designed us to be because lies always destroy, but truth sets us free. So how do we change our beliefs? Well, you can't change your belief just by gritting your teeth and trying to do it. And, and here's an example. If I offered you a million dollars to believe that Hillary Clinton won the presidential elections of 2016, you couldn't do it. You would have immense incentive to do it, a million dollars. I mean, that would be a huge help, wouldn't it? But you couldn't really do it. Why? 
because you know she didn't win, right? <laughs> that didn't happen. I can't just choose to change my beliefs. How beliefs are changed, though, aren't directly, but indirectly. We begin to uh, study things. We begin to think about things. We begin to weigh evidence. We begin to make new thought processes. That is how God has designed human beings to be. And Paul says that we are supposed to ponder, ruminate on, meditate on the things that are true and are lovely and are honorable and are of good repute and are righteous, pure. These are the things that we're supposed to be filling our mind with. These are the thoughts that we're supposed to develop new pathways with. That is how deep-seated lies in our life can be changed and be brought into the obedience, brought captive to the obedience of who Jesus is. I want to talk about three ways that lies creep into our life. The first way is from without. From without. And I label this the opinion and spin way, right? Um, I have been trying to watch as little news as I can these days because everyone and their mom has an opinion about what's actually happening. And if you want to get to reality, it's kind of difficult because everybody has speculation and spin about the virus and here's what's going on and I think this and this is why. And even some of the procedures that the, the doctors are doing, they're saying, man, that didn't really work. We need to change. What's true? Well, there's a lot of opinion and spin out there, right? And this is one way that lies can creep into our lives and, and panic us to death, right? If you're filling your mind with spin all the time and opinion all the time, it is unhealthy for your brain to be ruminating on. Now think about this. Why are we, even with the news these days, always left with cliffhangers, right? Make sure you don't uh, miss what we're going to talk about in five minutes. It's so important and vital to your life. You better be here because if you don't miss it, if you miss this, everything in your life is going to be wrecked. We'll be right back after this diaper commercial. If it was that important, wouldn't they not have the diaper commercial or the Charmin commercial or whatever? Yes. But you see, what they're trying to do is evoke emotion in you, positive or negative, that keeps you hooked so that they get ratings so that the advertising money keeps flowing in lies for money sensationalism for money now i don't think all news is like this and you can't ever get at the truth but i'm telling you a lot of it is about ratings and a lot of it is to keep you hooked and i know people who have been glued to fox news or cnn or msnbc for the last 15 years and it evokes mostly negative emotions in them to the point where their belief about the what they're being told pushes them to come out and start ranting and raving about liberals or conservatives or whoever this isn't healthy for us that's not what our mind needs to be fixated on and lies can creep into our life that way Second way lies creep into our lives, I would say, is from what if, from conspiracies that we ruminate on, from lies that we speculate about. This is one that I'm really good at. I start thinking about, you know, what, what, if, what if something's going to happen to, you know, my family? What would I do if my kid got extremely sick and died? What would happen if this family member just took off? What would, and I start to build these fake what-ifs conspiracies in my life, and I start to feel myself getting panicked and anxious about non-reality. But it's because I'm focusing on what-ifs and lies. So many what-ifs are going on right now. What if, what if by October we're still in quarantine? 
right? What if uh, I go back to my job and somebody's undercut me and I, I don't have a job and it's not secure? What if through this stress my spouse is done and leaves? What if, and Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Why don't we stay focused on today? Why don't we stay focused on today? What ifs can make lies creep into our lives? Did you know there's a scientific study that says 85% of what you worry about will never come true, and the 15% that does come true isn't as bad as you thought it would be. (laughs) So what are we worrying about? Especially when we know the God of the universe, we know what he's going to do, the place he's preparing for us, and that he's going to come and receive us to himself. Why? Why do we what what if ourselves to death? The third way that lies creep in is from within, and this is through negative self-talk. Negative self-talk. Lies we tell ourselves that eventually we believe, that eventually are strengthened, that eventually become core central beliefs in who we are. Now these are extremely dangerous because you really believe yourself. And if you're lying to yourself about who you are, it's a very hard thing to navigate and to see the truth through. People say things like, I'm not worthy for someone who would actually love me, right? I, I'm just so perverted in my mind and in my thinking and, and the stuff that I'm meditating and ruminating on. I need to fix myself, you know, before I'm worthy of love. I, I am a loser. I'm just despicable. Look at me. You see, and the enemy wants us to feed these negative self-talk thoughts. He loves it because he knows what's going on is we're building these grooves, these highways, these pathways in our brain and strengthening lies because it's not true. God loves us. God died for us. God says we have value and we have worth. And it's not because we're that great. It's because he's that great. And he has deemed us to be uh, image bearers of his. And we have dignity and worth because of that. And that's true. And yet so many people lie to themselves about who they are and about their worth. You know, we're seeing suicide rates skyrocket. We're seeing depression in the, in the richest healthiest country in the world. We're seeing depression just rise. Why? Because people are believing lies and beliefs have legs. And if you believe in a lie, it has devastating consequences and it destroys us. But truth sets us free. So how do we get out of this? What's the remedy for it? Well, I want to tell you the wrong remedy. The wrong remedy is to dwell on stopping the negative thoughts. And that's exactly what we would, we would think is, is the first step, right? Well, I just got to stop. I just got to stop doing those things. No, that is not the right method to take. When you focus on not doing something, you're still sending impulses along the old brain pathways, and that strengthens them further. To focus on not doing it strengthens the habitual thought process. We cannot do that. What we need to do is we need to refocus what we're thinking about. Oh man, is that crazy? Isn't that exactly what Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 8? It is. He doesn't say stop thinking about the negative, stop thinking about the dishonorable. He says shift your focus, shift the flow of your thought to the true, to the good, to the honorable, to the just. That's the method we are supposed to take, not to dwell on stopping the negative, but to dwell on what is true and what is the positive. The right remedy is to dwell on things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute.
Now, I love this because Paul also doesn't say to start to feel better about it. He says, don't be anxious about anything, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. So we pray, we worship, and then we refix our thought process to be on the good, to be on the lovely. He never says, start to feel better. Just stop feeling anxious. How do you stop feeling anxious? You can't. And this is the truth of it. We have to get to the root of why we have these emotions coming out. Why is anger welling up in me, right? Most of the time, it's not situational. Sometimes we believe it's because of outside things that happen. Most of the time in my life when I'm feeling anxious or worried or angry, it isn't because something actually just happened to me. It's because I've been thinking about lies, and they're evoking negative emotions in me. Emotions are indicators that something is going wrong, not usually with our situations, but within our persons. And when you are feeling anxious, angry, depressed, you should stop and do introspection. You should stop and say, what have I been thinking about? What, what, what's the belief that's been playing through my mind all day? Maybe you haven't even been focused on it, right? But you can go in and you can say, yeah, oh yeah, this morning, that kind of turned me sideways, made me wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and I have been stressed about that all day without even focusing on it. And you need to take the thought captive. And you need to think on things that are good and lovely and pure. God created us with these emotions because they're warning signs that something bad's going on inside, and we need to go in and we need to fix it. Now listen, I, I do want to say something about medication and therapy. Those are great things. Um, I, I am not uh, naive to think that the only remedy for uh, depression or anxiety is uh, reading the Bible and praying, right? Um, sometimes we need medicine. Sometimes we need therapy. Sometimes we need outside help. If I broke my arm, I would go to a doctor and I'd get medicine and he'd reset it and he would help me. And that's good. If my brain is broken and there's chemicals misfiring, and there's problems with my thinking, I can go to a doctor, and I can get medicine, and they can help me. There's nothing wrong with that. But for the majority of us, um, the everyday stress, anxiety, depression, sadness, anger, these are lies that we're believing. And the Bible tells us that we have the capacity within us to stop doing it through refocusing our mind. So how do we dwell? How do we ruminate? How do we meditate on the things that are good? Well, I think one of the ways is through spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, right? Uh, this, this idea has made a real resurgence in the last 20 years. But fasting is important. Prayer, obviously, is important. Solitude, silence is important. Scripture memorization is huge. Uh, if you're not memorizing scripture regularly, you've really got to start because that is ingesting into your soul things that are true and are lovely and are honorable and are righteous. And we need to get that in us. I love this verse, Colossians 3.16. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In order to let the word of God dwell in me richly, to be in my mind and something I can dwell upon, I need to ingest it first. I need to get it in me. I need to memorize it. I'm sad to say that, you know how many stupid 1990s grunge songs I have memorized? <laughs> And they're worthless. It means nothing, right? 
and those will pop out of nowhere. I mean, I haven't heard that song in 25 years, and boom, there it is, back, and I know all the... Who cares? Especially when I need to be thinking about things that are lovely, pure, and true, not frivolous. We need to be memorizing scripture. It is vital for us. It is life. Jesus has the words of life, as Peter said. And we need to take time to memorize scripture. This helps us to dwell on the good. Another thing is, is that we need to take time to read the Bible and, and to study the Bible. Because studying scripture is what strengthens our belief. Remember we talked about there's the content of your belief, the strength of your belief, and the centrality of it. We need to be strengthening what we believe to be true. We need to be bolstering it. We need to be seeing the evidence so that we're more sure of our faith today than we were last week. There's so many people that are having deconversion experiences and losing their faith. And the common denominator is they were doing nothing to strengthen their faith, but what they were letting happen was the lies of the world were coming in and implanting lies in their mind. And they were playing those lies over and over and over. And then they begin to feel discouraged about their faith. And it's their feelings that have led them away from the true content of Christianity. We need to be strengthening the content of our belief so that it becomes central to who we are in every way. I want to leave you with um, a four-step solution that will help you. This is a real practical, here's how you do what Paul is saying in Philippians 4.8. This method, the four-step method, was developed by a UCLA Christian neuroscientist named Jeffrey Schwartz and his partner, psychiatrist Rebecca Gladden. There's four steps to the four-step process. That's why it's such a great name for the process. The first step is that we need to relabel, all right? Step one, relabeling. This is when we identify the false thoughts that are going through, the destructive brain messages that are playing over and over in our mind. We need to identify them and see what has become habitual uh, brain message in our head. When we identify them, we can then label them for what they are. Lie, false perception, not real, right? That is key. You need to see what's going on and then to be able to spot it and say, wait, 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 wait that's not true. I am loved. I'm not, I'm not a loser. Yes, I screw up, but God has made me a saint and he loves me and he deems me worthy. Uh, I, I, I mess up and I'm a sinner and I'm sick of these things, but I'm not worthless. That is a lie. That is something that is untrue. When we're trying to introspect and do these things, it's very key to invite God into that with us. I love what David says in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Remember this? He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, try me, know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I need your help with this. Let's take a deep dive into me and I want you to show me the lies. I want you to show me the hurt that I've been harboring. I want you to show me the stuff that's going on within me so I can label that as a lie. Step one, relabeling. It has to be relabeled as a lie. Step number two is we reframe it. Uh, in this step, with the help of God, right, doing introspection with us, we need to focus our attention, our attention on the deceptive brain message, and we need to reframe exactly what it is. Um, 
the things you think about and the things I think about aren't unique to us. Uh, they're common to all people. We all struggle with similar things. And there are actually a pretty significant list of distorted thinking patterns <laughs> that all of us have gone through. I'm going to read some of these and you're going to go, oh yeah, I've done that. I've done that. And it's because humans do these types of things. We're not unique in this. This happens to all of us. One of the distorted thinking patterns is all, all or nothing thinking, right? Either I'm perfect or I'm a complete failure. Either I'm first place or I'm last place. No, that's not true, right? That's a lie. Overgeneralizing. I always do that. I always do this. Ah, no, you don't always do that. That's a lie. But we can, we can harbor these things we were told as little kids and it just becomes a playback loop in our brain and it becomes a very strong belief that's central to who we are. No, we have to be able to say, this is what that is. It's a lie and I'm overgeneralizing things. Another thing that we do is we discount the positive, right? When you do something really good, you work very hard at something. People say, man, that was awesome. You did great. We discount it and say, nah, anybody could do it. I'm not, it, it, it's not really that good. This is kind of like a false humility thing. It's not wrong to admit the truth that, yeah, I did work hard at that and, and it went well and I'm glad, right? But we discount the good. Another one, I'm great at this, jumping to conclusions or mind reading. <laughs> oh, I know what they thought by that. <laughs> I know what they meant by that. Oh, did you see how they looked? You know what really must be going on, right? And that gets into the conspiracy theories. Magnification or catastrophizing, blowing stuff way out of proportion, worrying about maybe all of my kids have coronavirus and this is the last two weeks I've got with them, right? No, calm down. That's a lie. Not true. Emotional reasoning. This is where we believe reality is the way we feel. That is dangerous. Our feelings do not dictate reality. Inappropriate should statements, right? I, sh I should probably stay home. I probably shouldn't go out with that group because then, the, you know, the cat will be out of the bag and they'll realize that I'm kind of a deadbeat and I'm kind of a loser and, uh, you know, this is, you know, in my world, that I'm not, the, I'm not as good of a pastor as I should be inappropriate should statements. Self-blame, blaming ourselves for events that are outside of our control, right? We need to be able to look to what's going on in our mind, relabel it, reframe it with these different types of distorted thinking patterns, and then this is where Philippians 4.8 comes in. We've got to refocus. We can't dwell on not doing that anymore. We need to see it for what it is, we need to say, this is the pattern. I'm, I'm, you know, catastrophizing things. And then we got to dismiss it. This is where we refocus. We say, forget you, you're a lie. I'm done with that. And then we turn over here and we turn our attention to things that are good, that are lovely, that are pure, that are of good repute. That's what Paul is saying. That is the key to this entire thing. You dismiss the lie once you've identified it and labeled it, and you move on to fill your mind, to refocus, to give yourself a new thought pattern. And that's what destroys these lies that we've harbored. It, it weakens them, and it develops new, true pathways that are filled with actually true content that we can strengthen in our belief. After we do that, and after we've been distracted by the good, um, it's good to go back and to revalue. That's step number four. We, we do a reevaluation of how step one through three went. And we say, this was very helpful. This was good. Maybe this wasn't so good. Next time I should be different. But if we can get in the habit of doing these four things, 
we are accomplishing what Paul has told us to do. Lies destroy us. They harm us. They make us believe untruth about ourselves. And we need to focus our minds on the things that are true and build highways and networks and webs of truth in our brains so that our default position for life is peace and harmony and centering on who Jesus is. So many are anxious and worried and angry and stressed. And Jesus came to give us another way. He says, listen, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Let that stuff go and focus on what's good and what's true. We have a huge role to play in who we become. Our beliefs matter. We need to believe in what's real and what's good and dismiss the lies that we've trusted that have gained strength in our life. I pray that you do that this week. Take some time. I know you have time. You're at home. Take some time to do some introspection. When you begin to get worried or stressed, say, okay, what's going on? I'm going to do that four-step process that Robbie was talking about. It will help you. It will change you. And the promise that we have is that the God of peace will be with us.